Hi, and welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with McKinley Belcher III, one of the stars of the absolutely incredible Broadway revival of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman that is currently running at the Hudson Theater through January 15th. This show was originally seen at London's Young Vic Theatre in 2019, where it was there directed by Marion Elliott and Miranda Cromwell. For the Broadway transfer, Cromwell directs on her own, with Marion Elliott serving as a producer. In the show, McKinley plays Happy Loman, one of the two sons of Willie and Linda Loman. As they were in London, Willie is played by the great Wendell Pierce, and Linda is played by Sharon D. Clark. The other brother in the Loman family is played by Chris Davis. He, of course, is Biff. Also in the cast is the icon and Tony winner, Andre DeShields. Over the past decade, McKinley has become a stalwart of both stage and screen. He won a Drama Desk Award in 2016, along with his co-star Chris Davis from this show, as part of the outstanding ensemble for the Royale. He was most recently seen on Broadway in the company of a soldier's play that ran pre-pandemic in 2020. On screen, you've also seen him in the PBS drama Mercy Street, Netflix's Ozark, The Good Lord Bird on Showtime, and many other things. In our conversation, we talk about what makes this production of Death of a Salesman so special and how, even if you have seen Death of a Salesman many times before, you have never seen this Death of a Salesman. And that goes far beyond the fact that it just features a Loman family that is made up of black actors. He also talks about how music helps him get into character, especially one that does not live in the same time period that we are living in today. He talks about the love that the company has for each other and especially for Wendell Pierce and much more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with McKinley Belcher III. I had the great pleasure of being uh, at the show last week on the same day as Wendell Pierce's birthday. And uh, I feel like oh, wow. I, I know I want to start there because I, the show was incredible and we will get to that. But when Sharon started talking and I think you brought out the birthday cake, right? Um, I did. Yeah. And it was just so obvious how much not only this cast loves its leader and, and Wendell, but each other, you were all just having so much fun. What, what was that moment like on stage to celebrate him and then have all of us saying happy birthday along with you? Uh, it was really beautiful. Uh, I've, I've done a good amount of plays and um, it's really rare to, to meet someone who is so generous with their energy, their energy and their time and leads with so much grace. So like, uh, uh, I, I feel like I fell in love with so many people in this cast uh, so quickly and so easily, uh, which is a real gift. So like that idea that we're all on stage uh, celebrating his birthday uh, is is beautiful, but it's also a testament to like what an impeccable man he is and, uh, and, and an artist who has affected everybody around him um, deeply. And it's, I know it's always been there in the text, but for me with your production more than I've probably ever remember having seen this show many, many times over the years, it was painfully obvious how much Happy not only was like his father, but wanted his father's approval and acceptance and yet seemingly mm. could never get it. As you built that world and that relationship with Wendell, what what went into kind of figuring out where those overlaps came with your characters and where the prickliness between the, those two actually manifested itself on stage. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, I think it always begins with the text. Uh, and if you listen to what a lot of Willie says, um, when he's asked about what he cares about, when he's asked about uh, uh, his hopes and dreams, uh, the, the name Biff comes out a lot. And mm-hmm. what you rarely hear, it, you, you almost never hear happy and you rarely hear my sons. What you usually hear is Biff. Uh, so like, I think that was our guide to, to show that there was a kind of inequity. And uh, uh, I, I could tell like, just looking at the text that I said that there, there was a lot of sort of attention seeking behavior there. And that um, there was a great need for validation. And I keep throwing out these um, promises and uh, uh, the image of what I think they want me to be. And, and to me, that's a, a sort of seeking for approval and uh, validation. And uh, we did a lot of sort of movement exercises where we were sort of exploring what the the flashbacks would look like. But in those movement exercises, you're getting to know each other physically and you're sort of exploring what your physical relationship to each other um, is. And so like, uh, there are a couple of things that sort of live in the production now that were just found by us playing in rehearsal and, uh, and there are things that stuck because they had some resonance. That's interesting because this is not the first time that Wendell and Sharon and then the director Miranda Cromwell have done this show together. Obviously they very famously did it uh, in London, but it sounds like when mm-hmm. they brought it over to New York with the rest of the cast uh, being new to the production, it, it sounds like there was um, a lot, you know, the ability to explore and to make things new for this production. And it wasn't just, this is what we did in London and, and you have to kind of abide by what had already been done in the previous incarnation. Absolutely. Uh, I was very much relieved and excited by that because I, I wasn't really interested in a plug and play where I'm just going to fulfill what another actor already built. Um, so it, it was really exciting that uh, Miranda, the director, was very much interested in discovery and um, mining as much as we could. And uh, <laughs> she said this thing that, uh, like, so uh, as you said, uh, Wendell and Sharon um, were in uh, the Young Vic Productions and the West End production. And so they, they, they came with us to Broadway. Uh, but <laughs> the two guys who played, um, they had two different sets of sons in both of those productions. And both of them were played by British actors. So this is the first production that Miranda has directed where she's heard the words out of American actors' mouths uh, for the sons. <laughs> and she was saying this thing where like, uh, she's like, I feel like I'm hearing some of these lines for the very first time because uh, even if their accents were quite impressive and unbelievable, there's a thing about rhythm that, um, uh, is very specific to, to um, Americans. So like uh, she was hearing things. She's like, oh, I've never heard the line that way. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was exciting for us to, to sort of dig in that way. And I, I think um, for Wendell and Sharon, it was refreshing for them uh, to have so many new voices and energies and rhythms around them because it allowed them to rediscover things as well. And it, you, you don't want to do something where you're constantly rehashing what you've already done. So uh, discovery and curiosity is the name of the game. And it's, it's interesting to me that as you, as you know, as audiences have kind of seen you both on stage and on screen, a lot of the times when you are doing shows, especially in New York, um, especially recently, uh, there's been a lot of shows that are, um, either, 
new or I'm sorry, are either um, kind of classic shows or shows that are kind of set in this, uh, you know, a different time period, whether it's Soldier's Play or the Royale or even going back to Romeo and Juliet almost a decade ago. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me as you kind of juxtapose that with something like Ozark or um, or uh, the good Lord Bird even. Um, is there something where you bring a, a kind of a different mentality to a, a, a show that is something that is modern or is set in a period in the past that has to kind of manifest itself in those different rhythms and those different approaches, that different physicality than it would something that is set in today's day and age? Absolutely. I feel like a, a, a lot of where I start when I, when I start a project is thinking about like how close the character is to me and, and even outside of them, how much is the world they live in similar to the one I live in. And, uh, I think those questions and that sort of like uh, meditation is something that reveals how much work I'm going to have to do. Because like if the character is quite close to who I am, then uh, uh, sort of my life experience is much of the research that I, I, I need to do. But if it's quite far or their experience or the, the world they live in is quite far from what I'm used to, then I have to build a bridge to those things. And sometimes like what that bridge requires is very different. Sometimes it, it involves research. Sometimes it involves listening to sounds so that I can get a sense of what uh, uh, rhythms existed at that time and, and how language is affected by the sounds they heard. Sometimes it's about like spending time with the people that I'm going to be working with so that we can sort of uh, find a common theme and, and energy to, to ride on. Uh, uh, sometimes it involves learning another language or learning a dialect. Uh, so like, uh, I, I very much think of it in terms of building a bridge, uh, when it's far away from me and, 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 and that bridge is what helps me get. to what you're sort of describing, uh, is, uh, the thing that's in a period or that's quite different from what we experience right now. And that, that, that bouncing excites me because I feel like it, it not only allows me the opportunity to learn about, uh, different times in history and maybe people who are different from me. Uh, but it, it allows me as an actor to have an instrument that is more facile. For Death of a Salesman, obviously set in a period many decades ago, but with this new context of the Lomans being a black family in a, for the rest of the cast, a, a white um, show, how how much of a bridge did you feel like you had to cross for that? Obviously, the time period is different, but a lot of the social implications of what is now at the center of this story were, you know, unfortunately, very much still a part of the world that we live in today. Uh, I think in, in some ways it's a testament to what Arthur Miller wrote uh, years ago, um, it, that it is an incredibly universal story. And, and even though it is set in the, the 40s and 50s, um, there's so much about what they're experiencing that um, rings true and uh, I recognize in my own life. Uh, so I think you're right that, that there wasn't a, a, a huge amount of bridge building I had to do. Um, and, and, and on another front, it's also like a huge honor to be doing this play on Broadway in this way, because in a, in a a very real way we were making history. Like the, this play has never yeah. been done on Broadway with a black family. And uh, the idea that we're doing that is not only an honor, but it's like, it's sobering to us to, to, to think that we're still sort of having these first. Um, 
but yeah, and I think some of the things that I did think about was like, uh, I play the saxophone, so I really love jazz. And um, I was uh, listening to a lot of jazz and like Charlie Parker. And uh, this, this is kind of like buoyant, um, joyful sound that, that, that Parker, that Burke has, um, that I was just trying to find ways of like uh, uh, lifting his voice, uh, uh, Happy's voice, and uh, having it dance a little bit with how I use sound. And uh, I, I wanted that to live in his body as well. And, and then obviously we've already talked about the sort of uh, validation and attention he's seeking from his father and from everybody around him. And I, I was thinking deeply about how does that live in your body and how does it affect how you interact with the world outside of your family? And what, I, I guess I, the next question from that is, how do you, fold that into the character which is there on the on the page like you said it, it all starts with the text but how do you yes. kind of marry this physicality this rhythm with these words that as you said Arthur Miller wrote these you know decades ago and they are iconic in a lot of ways but how do you kind of blend this jazz infused interpretation of them which I'm going to go out on a limb and say very few other actors who have played happy have probably went to Charlie Parker as a source for uh, for their characterization <laughs> I think that is likely to be true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny because like uh, a lot of people who I've uh, met after seeing the show, either at the stage door or like who have come up uh, to uh, me in, in the theater, uh, they're like, I've never heard happy this way. Oh, and some of you have been like really honest and said, I usually hate happy, but like, yeah, I get him now. Uh, and to me, it's interesting that we're talking about uh, jazz and, and Charlie Parker because like, um, in a way, I think of uh, plays and texts uh, like music. And uh, you can get a bunch of different actors to interpret a text and they're playing the same music, but depending on what their instrument is like, it's gonna sound very different uh, uh, based on like how they're approaching the notes on the page and what the, the tenor of their instrument is. Uh, so. I, it excites me that I get to bring um, various pieces of my culture to the table. I get to bring my life experience to the table. I get to bring my approach to rhythm, my approach to text. Um, and, and to me, those things marry quite easily if I live in them fully and bring my full self to them. It, it isn't a far reach or a, a, um, a big leap I must make to sort of find a, a space where all these things can sort of live together because they live in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I do think that uh, it was very important to me from the get-go when we started rehearsal to, to, to be comfortable living in a space of play because there's so much of my journey is happy through the play, <laughs> ironically, that is play. <laughs> uh, and uh, in a way that was liberating. Um, and it, it also helps that uh, I've read the play in high school, um, but I've never seen a production of it. So I didn't have an idea oh, wow. in my head of what it's supposed to be. Um, so my imagination had free reign. Yeah. And it's interesting that you went to music for your character, but music is much more a part of this production of Death of a Salesman than I've ever seen it uh, before, whether that's in, obviously there's the, the music in the club at the end and uh, mm. the singers and then Andre coming in to sing, but there's singing throughout, um, you know, and obviously Sharon is an incredible uh, singer uh, as well, but there, there is vocals and there is underscoring uh, throughout. I know how it 
impacts you kind of creating your character, but just in general, how does music, whether that is, you know, through song or through underscoring, how does that impact the way a show is played? Um, You know, we, we are so used to it in movies and in TV, but Mm -hmm. uh, more often than not, that's not being, you know, heard by the actors while they are doing the scenes on stage. You can't, not hear it. So how does that impact the interactions that you have with your characters? How does that, in, uh, the other characters, how does that impact maybe your delivery in front of the audience on stage? Sure. Uh, I'm really grateful for Femi, uh, the the composer for, who like mm-hmm. sort of created a lot of the stuff that you're hearing um, on stage. Uh, I, I think music is incredibly powerful and it has this ability to sort of immediately plant you in time and place. Uh, and evoke feeling. And uh, I, uh, there's this song um, that Femi wrote called when the, when the Trumpets, uh, it's called When the Trumpets Come or something like that, uh, that you hear, I wanna say you hear it three times. You hear it at the very beginning of the play. You hear it um, when uh, Willie and Linda are in the bedroom at the end of act one. And then you hear it at the very end of the play. So it's in, in, in that, <laughs> in that sense, you almost hear it like reprised in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but each time you hear it, you hear it differently. And uh, I, I just think it, it has, uh, it, it acts as both punctuation, as catharsis, and um, as a way to sort of help the audience um, land in the same place that these characters are living in in each moment. And I, I also feel like it helps me a lot because like when you walk through life, you can't escape music. Even if you're not a person who listens to it in your home a lot, if you walk through the world on the subway, on the sidewalk, through a park, you're going to hear music. So uh, it makes me feel like I'm living in a way on the, on the stage when, when I hear things that are um, sometimes uh, for and in the front and sometimes very much planted in the back that are just suggestions of a thing. Uh, uh, I think Miranda did a really great job of using music sometimes to even uh, illustrate and or communicate like when characters are having a perspective on what's happening with other people. I'm thinking of this moment where uh, Willie's uh, having his interaction with the, the woman and uh, both uh, Chelsea and Grace's characters are kind of way back in the shadows of, uh, of the stage. Uh, but you can hear like this sort of a bluesy jazz kind of sound and you hear them, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a it's sort of sound of like judgment and disapproval. And, and I think that's just a really interesting way to use music. So I, yeah. the, the, the short answer is that it excites me and it allows me to like deeply anchor into the play and, and uh, it makes me feel. Yeah. Uh, this This show is one that, I, I think a lot of people were excited about before it came over and the response to the show has obviously been um, pretty incredible. It It is interesting to me is that as we look at the, I guess, season and a half of Broadway since the, the shutdown has happened. And we, and we have seen a lot of shows that feature um, black casts or um, casts predominantly made up of actors of color. And, and, and maybe I'm just kind of making some connections that, that aren't necessarily there. But perhaps I wondered if you had some insight that the ones that we have seen succeed in terms of not necessarily the critical acclaim because many of them have 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 had success in that regard but in terms of drawing audiences are 
the the shows that we're familiar with, whether that is Death of a Salesman, which we've never seen in this context before, or The Piano Lesson, um, it, which is obviously an August Wilson work that has always kind of been centered on a black family. But some of the newer shows like Ain't No Mo, which is in the, the news right now, has not mm-hmm. necessarily had the audiences has come. I, I wonder from your perspective as somebody who has done a lot of classic works, like I said earlier, but also new works, um, whether that's The Light or, or, uh, or The Royale, where's that disconnect coming from audiences are showing up for these shows that they might know the names of that feature black casts, but perhaps not doing so as much with new works that are often by artists of color as well as featuring them on stage. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I do want to first say that I am um, comforted and excited by the fact that there are so many uh, black voices, both on stage uh, and in the creative teams and um, writers of of these plays and musicals that are on Broadway. Like, uh, I don't think there's been a Broadway season that has had so much uh, diversity and brown and black uh, voices and faces um, on the stage and behind the scenes. So to me, in in a way, that that means the tide is moving in the right direction. Uh, the fact that, 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 that there are so many different options uh, that that if you're looking for something that uh, looks like you, um, that's not hard to find right now. And and years ago, especially a decade or so ago, that was not what was happening. There was like one or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm excited and um, refreshed by that. Um, and it, in regard to the sort of new play and uh, finding an audience it, it, it's an incredibly complicated thing with so many variables that uh, of how do you get the butts in the seats and how do you get uh, uh, the word out there? And, and it, it makes sense because like in some ways, that's why people do like these sort of star castings to like sort of yeah. get people's eyes on their, on their productions. Uh, and I, I think for producers and uh, the publicists that work with these shows, the question is, uh, when you have a show that is brand new without a star, uh, for lack of better words, in it, um, how do you uh, get the butts in the seat, get people to see it? And I, in my head, the answer to that is that you make the play the star. And so that you have to really truly understand what what what, what play it is that you're, you're working with and uh, go to the people who are um, most likely to want to see that. I think it's been a, a very difficult thing for Broadway producers and uh, marketing folk um, at large to um, understand deeply how to connect with um, brown and black audiences, where to go, how to dialogue with them, and um, how to let them know that the shows that are about them are available to them. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've either done a show or I've been talking about a show that's like that to someone who doesn't do what I do. And they're like, well, I didn't even know that was happening. Uh, so it, yeah. it means to me that there's a disconnect in the sort of communication of it all. Um, yeah, that, that's the thought I have about it though. Yeah. I, I do, I again want to reiterate that I'm very excited by all these new voices. And, and it's also a sobering thing that like, uh, uh, with all these new voices, uh, uh, we want things that take chances. We want things that are like huge successes and that sometimes fail because that's part of the artistic process is to 
to, to, to try something that's way out there and, and, and sometimes fall on your face a little bit. So like uh, uh, for me, I feel like that's a, a, a thing that I have learned from and that's made me a more well-rounded artist. And uh, the reality is that if you look at Broadway history, <laughs> uh, there were many times where there have been uh, shows that feature or were um, created by a majority white uh, creative team or white actors, and they run the gamut of like uh, falling flat on their face and closing very quickly, or, or like being a huge success and running for years and years and years. Uh, uh, that didn't change producers' minds about like whether they should be, be producing yeah. uh, content with those people in mind. So I, I hope that isn't what uh, people, what the takeaway is from a show uh, succeeding in commercial terms or not. Um, I think it's important that there be space to 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 paint with broad strokes and uh, be as true to your voice as you can, um, and let the chips fall where they may. But I do hope that producers and, and marketing teams get better about engaging with our communities. Yeah, I think to editorialize for a second, I think one of the great things about theater is that it's never a finished product. Everything always changes. That's part of the the artistic growth of a show and that once it gets to the stage for that first preview or even opening night while the show might be frozen uh it's still evolving and i think that that's part of the the process of these artists and these new voices coming at some points you're going to stumble but that's not the end of the road and hopefully they have the opportunities to pick themselves back up and to do things differently whether that's artistically or commercially in the future absolutely there's the thing you just said uh we, we had this talk back yesterday with a bunch of students and uh, I can't remember the exact question, but it was something along the lines of uh, uh, a thing being frozen uh, once you open the show. And it's, I'm, you, you conjured about something you just said just now, is that like <laughs> uh, our job is to be curious. So like, it, it, not only is it like still living and breathing and changing past opening, but like until we finish the show, we're still discovering things. Like <laughs> it's, it's funny the conversations we had backstage because uh, we're asking each other questions and finding things and and, and like <laughs> we're well into our run. But like that that's the thing that's beautiful about it is that it continues to reveal itself to you as you do it. Yeah, I love that. Well, um, I will wrap up and, and let you go with with one final question. This is a show that is playing at the Hudson Theater through January 15th. And I assume a lot of people who see Death of a Salesman in the title, uh, especially those that are coming to Broadway to see a show in, during the holiday season, are familiar mm. with the show. Many have probably seen it before. Uh, and I know a lot of people who, who, as I said, oh, I'm going to see the show, said, oh, that's such a, that, that's such a heavy show. I don't know that I can take it during the holidays. Um, but this does, as we talked about, have a, a different life, not only because of the new context with a black family at the center, but whether it's the music or Miranda's direction, it feels like a new work uh, to me. And I, mm. I will tell you, despite the fact that a lot of people look at Death of a Sound and say, man, that's a really long of a slog of a show, I it raced by for me. Um, but from your perspective, as somebody who is looking uh, to see shows during the, this last month of, of your run, what is the experience like, whether they know Death of a Salesman from reading it in high school, having seen it in production, or have no exposure to this show in the past? What is the experience going to be like for them if they, they come and see this show at the Hudson? Excellent question. <laughs> um, uh, I, I would say that uh, first and foremost, uh, whether they've seen the play or not, they have never seen it this way. 
And um, I think we're very proud that at the center of our approach to uh, Miller's play, um, it is definitely about love. And uh, hmm. uh, not what I would uh, think most I, people would think of in Death of a Salesman. Love is not yeah. the first word. Yeah. But it's about a family. It's about a family trying to love each other and in some ways succeeding in the other ways uh, failing and and sort of bumping up against that failure. And uh, I, I think we, we get to see um, a family give it their best go and uh, try to hold on tight to each other. And um, I think it's an interesting thing to watch someone desperately try to love someone and uh, hmm. to be uh, corseted by their own um, weaknesses and their own hangups. Um, I, think, I think you'll see a celebration of um, music and life um, but you'll also see, like, you'll see someone, you'll see many people sort of wrestle with what it is to dream, what it is to, to, to aspire to the American dream. And um, the, the beauty of how much that can lift you, but also how much it can be a weight. Uh, I think you'll see world-class acting. I, I'm so proud of what mm -hmm. so many of my colleagues are doing on that stage because they give their whole heart they give everything that they have that day. And um, it's a thing that I am impressed by. And I've seen the, the performances over and over again. <laughs> uh, uh, but ultimately, our job is to reflect the world that, that we see around us. And I think in a very special way, um, people will see themselves in this play. And everybody, everybody has a family in some shape or form. So like, there's something about this play that they will identify with and that hopefully will be cathartic and make them think about their families and um, how they live with a healthy relationship to the truth in a deeper and more substantive way, hopefully. I, I love that you said that. And I, did, I, I don't want to spoil anything from this production because I think all of the things that we've talked about make it really special. I, I also think that the way that um, the cast and Wendell and Miranda approach Willie, I think, at least for me, was revelatory in its difference from how I've seen it done in the past. So I don't want to spoil mm. any of that for folks. But I think you touched on it there at the end and talking about what truth means to them. And uh, that to me was the thing that as I kind of realized how that character was being presented in a way that I'd never seen it before really kind of gobsmacked me and, and kind of opened up so many more doors to this show than I'd ever seen before. Um, mm. So I agree. I think that there that it's what's happening at the Hudson is very special. And um, whether it's Wendell or Sharon or you or Andre, and we haven't really mentioned Chris, although Chris is great as, uh, as Biff as well. And I love the relationship in the play between you two, but um, I think it's a really special production. And, and I hope that as many people have the opportunity to see it over this next month uh, as humanly possible. So uh, McKinley, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation conversation, how much I enjoyed the show. And I really appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, to chat with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me.